listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, Acts chapter 1, and you know what it says in verse 8. The Bible says, uh, but you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so it's very important that you see that because Jesus is, and I don't want to get in, I've I've taken time on broadcast to to break down the, uh, the theology of it and all of that. I've broken down all of uh, all of the scriptural basis, the theology, uh, the differentiation between what the early church believed and what scho- some scholars today are saying is the case. I want to talk to you about the actual power of God. And uh, while other churches may not want to do it anymore, there's churches that are that are considered to be full gospel, full gospel denomination, and. Uh, won't manifest the power of God anymore. Won't even not let alone manifest it. Won't even preach about it. Won't even preach about it. Won't allow speaking in tongues. When the Bible plainly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. They don't want prophecy. They don't want the moving of the Holy ghost. They don't want to lay hands on the sick. They don't want any of those things because what they want to do is create, uh, they want to create an environment or an experience. That's what we have now, uh, according to these leaders. We have church experiences. Well, we hope you had a wonderful Sunday experience. You know, if you didn't have the Holy Ghost, you didn't experience anything. You had a lack of experience. And, and so many, because, you know, we want it to be very streamlined. And no matter who comes in the doors, we want them to be able to, uh, you know, get and feel comfortable being in uh, the service and. There's many people that come into the church that should feel uncomfortable in the service. You shouldn't be able to come into a church service uh, living a life of sin and listen to the preaching and see the power of the Holy Ghost and stay comfortable in your seat. There is a problem in church if people can come into a church and attend it for a year, attend it for a month, attend it for a week, and sit there in, in a life of sin And never feel the need to change. Never feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Never feel the power of God. Uh, You know, if you can sit there and never feel the power of the Holy Ghost and never feel like your life, that you need to repent from sin and, uh, and live, let me tell you, that's a problem. That's a major problem. We're not trying to create a feel good atmosphere in church. That's not what Christianity is about, a feel-good atmosphere. We're creating. Of course, you, you'll feel good when the power of God touches you. You'll be encouraged, all of that. But you should also feel conviction. You should feel uh, the onus to change when the power of God touches you. And the Bible says that you'll receive power to be the witnesses of God. And so Jesus explained that even more fully in John 14, 12. He said, the works that I do you will do also, and even greater works than these, because I'm going to be with my father. Now, what he, what he was saying there, what he meant by that was, as he said throughout the gospel of John, he said, I'm going to send you another comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. 
and he'll be with you. He'll abide with you forever. He'll lead you and guide you into all truth. He started to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit would empower the church to do the same things that he did. So anything you're seeing Jesus doing with the exception of dying on the cross as our point of redemption, all of the works that he did, he said, you'll do them also. And even greater works than these because I'm going to be with my father. So it's interesting that uh, there's many churches today that don't want anything to do with the works of Christ. I mean, think about it. The works of Christ, deliverance for those that are in captivity, demon-possessed people. There are demon-possessed people. I've had to deal with them. I've watched it my whole life. Dealt with some this year, dealt with some last year in other nations, in this nation. And so it's interesting that people don't want anything to do with that. There's no deliverance for the captives. They don't want to heal the sick and lay their hands on the sick and watch them recover as the Lord raises them up, according to James 5, Mark 16. They don't want to do that. And so there's there's this, there's this, and I want you to be aware of it as I'm teaching on this broadcast, because there is this uh, idea that we need to back away from that crazy Pentecostalism, that, that charismatic, you know, whatever, so that more people will be comfortable to come to church and be in Christianity. That's not what the early church did, and that's not what Jesus did. The early church was so full of the Holy Ghost and in manifestation, you could see the power of God moving. You could see the power of God moving all through the church, no matter where it spread in the early church. The power of God moved so powerfully that people were being saved by the thousands at a time. And the Bible says that the church increased so rapidly, literally increased so rapidly that they had to start putting uh, administrative systems in place to take care of those that were being added to the church. And let me tell you, I agree with Tammy on Periscope. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever, more than ever. And so I'm not going to be one of those that's going to sit back and be embarrassed. If you think I'm ever going to be embarrassed of the Holy Spirit, no matter how much I learn, how much education that I have, the more that I dig deeper into scripture, uh, I'm working on digging into the original languages. And let me tell you something, the more that I do it, I'm not fading back from the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm actually seeing the need to be more uh, for, openly for the mighty manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Pentecostalism is something, it was not invented at the turn of the last century. <laughs> People think Pentecostalism is just something that came around at the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s. That's, that's not true. Read your Bible. It happened 2,000 years ago when on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came from heaven and filled the church and established and launched the church. And so you'll start to see, I prophesied it. Man, I wish I had these loaded up because I prophesied it this last year. The Holy Spirit came upon me. And I started prophesying West Virginia that in 2020, you'll begin to see churches that were previously built up and, and seemed as though they were flourishing, but they were not built, built up by the power of the spirit or by God or his agenda or plan, but by the works of flesh will be torn down and you'll see them fall and be torn down. And then the Lord said, I'll build up the things that my hand is on and I'll lift them head and shoulders above the rest and other things that I was never in, I will tear down to the ground because of my glory and my power not seen in those places. God gets his glory. He gets his glory. He gets his honor. And so he'll not be mocked. He'll not be made to be a fool. God is power. 
He is power. And so he will control what he wants to do, and you'll see it. And he he spoke it, we saw it, that you'll see in this year. You watch and see. You'll see things torn down that, that were made from flesh and created by flesh, have no desire for the move of the Spirit or the things of the Spirit. They'll be torn down to the ground. And the things that God has put his hand on and the things that God has ordained will be lifted head and shoulders above the rest. And I want you to keep your eye on that because in these final moments of time before Jesus comes back, there will be a church that is still full of the power of the Holy Ghost, manifesting the power of the Holy Ghost and doing what Jesus taught and told us and commanded us to do in his written word. He said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It changes you when you receive power. It changes you when you receive power. You'll not be the same as you used to be. There's a new boldness that comes upon you. There's new ability that comes upon you. The word in the Greek language is dunamis. It's like a dynamite power that's inherent to the Holy Ghost-filled believer that allows you to what? Lay your hands on the sick and watch them recover. Allows you to cast out demons. Bible says it allows you to raise the dead, which we're still seeing today. We're seeing those things. People dead. There was a man they recently just brought uh, into one of these churches in Nigeria, and the family had already, you know, they, the, the body of the man had already been in the morgue. He was already embalmed, and the, and the family would not let it go. They kept believing and believing and believing. And went in there and began to command by the power of the Holy Ghost. There's, 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 a, and then there's a video of the man coming back to church the next week, and at Bishop Oyedepo's church, and uh, the man was literally already embalmed, and they said that uh, as they were in there commanding the power of God to touch him, spirit come back in the body, the man just like in the Bible sneezed, and sneezed, and they said on the last sneeze something came out of his. Uh, nose, like a liquid came out of his nose and he sat up and came back to life. You talk about clearing out a room. I'm telling you, it's still taking place today. We have signs and wonders and miracles that are still happening in this generation. This is not something we're telling stories from a hundred years ago or 2000 years ago. It's still taking place today. I keep specific things in the camera roll of my phone that are documented miracles. So when people say, well, that stuff's not real. Oh, really? Well, explain to me how we have a young girl. And by the way, I didn't even know what was wrong with this young lady when I prayed for her. One of my favorite testimonies, because I keep it in my phone. There was a woman, a young, now she's a woman. It was a young lady at the time. We were preaching outside of Boston, Massachusetts in Fitchburg. And she came, her, her father actually brought her to the altar. Her father works at a correctional facility as a guard and brought her to the, brought her to the altar and I didn't even know, I had already finished the service and was getting ready to leave the church. And they said, would you come pray for this girl? I said, I'm happy to. Came back out to the altar and she was there with her dad at the time. She was about 17 years old. And he said, would you just pray for my daughter? And I didn't even ask what was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong with her. And I just began to pray for her, ask God to touch her, make her whole. And uh, the next, the next um, morning, the pastor got a text from the father and he said, man, I got to tell you, um, I have to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened to my daughter. And of course, this is what I didn't know. 
that she had been diagnosed by the Boston Children's Hospital with a nerve disease that filled her body, started in her ankle. She had an injury from doing gymnastics or whatever she was involved in, and that nerve disease spread through her whole body. She was in such pain that her father and mother told me that all that the because it was nerve pain, all that the hospital could do was give them these medicated pads that would dull her nerves. And then they said, you know, switch her back and forth between hot, very hot bath and a very cold bath to numb the nerves. And uh, her father told me with tears in his eyes, he said, if you'd see the pain that my daughter was in, she couldn't. And the way he explained it to me was, for example, if you were to fall and bang your knee and there'd be pain there, you know, in a couple of days or a you know, day or whatever, that pain would go away and the soreness would be gone. He said with her, because of the nerve disease, anytime she uh, had something that, you know, fell and hurt herself or hit herself on something, that pain would just remain. It would never go away. And so he said by the time, and she was diagnosed, I think at the age of 10. And by the time she was 17 years old, she said, and he said this to me, the only, uh, part of her body that did not have constant pain was the right side of her face. And she was in constant pain. He said, the pain's so bad. He said, if you, if you were to be our neighbor and heard us taking those pads off and putting more medicated patch, she'd be screaming. You'd have thought we were torturing our daughter. And so, um, love you, Aaron. Praise God. Thanking God with you, man. And so, uh, she, the next day, the, the, uh, her father texts pastor Brian and said, I got to tell you what God did. And uh, he was out in the yard raking leaves and he heard her on the porch. He turned around there. She was standing. She said, I got something to tell you. She said, I woke up this morning with no pain whatsoever in my body. So they were so excited. And uh, when, when she was first diagnosed with it, he, to add insult to injury, listen to what else they found. At the Boston Children's Hospital, they did MRIs and they found that she had a tumor on her brain as well. And uh, along with the nerve disease, it was not the cause of the nerve disease, but it was in, in addition to. So there she is, 17 years old, wakes up the next morning, no pain in her body for the first time in seven years. And so they take her back to the Boston Children's Hospital at 17. They kept her in there. They did MRIs. They took you know x-rays and uh, they had to tell her father, not only can we not find uh, any traces or signs of the nerve disease, they gave him the MRIs. I keep the MRIs on my phone that the brain scan that had, and I have the one with the tumor and you can see the mass on her brain, a white mass on the x-ray and the second x-ray and MRI, there is no mass. Literally the tumor without surgery, without anything else is gone from the brain. The power of God touched her in one night and the nerve disease that was there for seven years had to leave. And the tumor also had to leave by the power of God because of the fact God is still a healer. Miracles and signs and wonders. I remember after that, she was called into the ministry and uh, she went down and uh, went to Dr. Rodney Howard Brown School, The River. And uh, now she's married and now she's, you know, doing life with her. Oh, I hate that phrase. I don't know why I even said it. Doing life. She's now married and living life with her husband. And, and uh, but I mean, God touched her and called her into the ministry. And uh, she went down to be a help to Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. Let me tell you, our God is a healer. He's a supernatural healer. I saw Patty... Uh, Lee is on the broadcast and her and her husband, Pastor Steve Lee, they pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was there with them uh, one year. And uh, I remember as we were, I think it was a Sunday morning service 
And as the service is going on, I'm stay, I'm like preaching at, at the church and in a row to my right on the left side of the auditorium, my right, uh, there's like a whole row of people that are talking. <laughs> Patty, you remember this? There's like a whole row of people that are talking while I'm preaching. And I'm thinking, my goodness, like that's rude. You know, I know I'm not like the best preacher in the world, but like, come on, you know, I'm better than just being talked over for the whole service. Well, I found out at the end, these people didn't speak English. They, they were speaking Spanish and somebody was interpreting my preaching to them in the row and telling them what I was saying as I was preaching. Well, the, uh, and I, I, I believe the family didn't even really go to the church. If I remember correctly, the lady's name was Maria. And in fact, um, oh, Emily, Avery and Yaya, love you guys. Um, if I remember her name was Maria and she didn't attend the church, but had come because we were having revival and she'd been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she, she told me at the altar that morning, Sunday morning, she said, I believe that if you'll pray for me, she was a Catholic woman. She said, I believe if you'll pray for me that God will heal me and to end this brain tumor, I'll not have to have surgery. And so we prayed for her at the altar that morning by the power of God, laid our hands on her and uh, she received it. She was crying. We gave her a hug, told her, God, everything's going to be all right. And she left and, and we were holding uh, afternoon services, I think 12 to one and night services, seven o'clock. And uh, Monday, Sunday night came. We didn't see Maria Monday morning, no Maria Monday night, no Maria Tuesday morning, no Maria. And then Tuesday night, because I believe our, our revival that week was from Sunday through Wednesday, Tuesday night, she came back in the back door smiling really big. And she came down and I said, man, there's got to be a testimony here. That's, that's a testimony kind of smile. And she came down to the altar and we had her uh, through an interpreter, give her testimony what had happened, she went in, she was scheduled Monday morning to go into the hospital for this procedure. She went in Monday morning. They kept her all day Monday and through the uh, morning of Tuesday. And they were doing more scans, more x-rays and more MRIs, trying to locate the tumor that they saw they were going to have to surgically remove from her brain. And so they kept her thinking that there was a mistake somehow, thinking that there maybe there was a, a, a malfunction with their uh, machinery or whatever, because they couldn't locate what they had previously located uh, in her head uh, at the visits that she'd had before when she was scheduled for surgery. So there she is being checked, checked. She comes back and tells everybody, she said, they kept me there. And she said, now I've got the report that they cannot find any trace of the tumor in my brain and gave the, she gave the testimony. She said, I'm so happy. <laughs> That's what she said. I'm so happy. I, the way I'm going to say, thank you. I'm cooking dinner for the entire church tomorrow night. And so on that Wednesday night, she came back and she had made Mexican food for everybody. I mean, there was like fajitas and tamales and all. I mean, it was like for everybody in the church. And after service, we went back and we ate in the back room with everybody stayed around. And she was so thankful that God had touched her, that the Holy Spirit had touched her. No brain tumor. We've seen me literally miracle after miracle. God is a miracle working God. I cannot, good morning, Brian. I cannot understand people who are ashamed, embarrassed of the Holy Spirit and his power. I can't understand it by any means. I have no idea why people are so ashamed. I know there's people that want to look intelligent. They want to look, uh, they want to be accepted by the academic community. I know that they want to seem like they're very, very educated. 
And so because of that, you know, they want, you know, all the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the scholars to accept uh, their position of Christianity and feel respected among uh, academia. But let me just tell you something. Who cares about the approval of men if you don't even have the approval of God? Who cares about the approval of men if you don't have the approval of God? You know, when they told, um, you know, think about governmental authority, told Peter and John in the early church, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't work miracles. Don't don't lay hands on the sick. Looking for the, you know, you think even just to uh, uh, appease governmental authority. I mean, think about it. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, after they're being rebuked and reprimanded for uh, literally preaching the gospel, working miracles. And uh, look at this, verse Acts 5, 27. Listen to this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. What do I care about the approval of some man or body, uh, governing body? Or what, what would I care about the approval of a person if I don't have the approval of God? I would much rather be approved by God than I would be approved by men. I would much rather be approved by God than be approved by men. And the power of God's real. I shared the testimony of my daughter the other night about how God healed her of a blood disease. And the the doctor said she had congestive heart failure. I shared that publicly about how God brought her out of the hospital, out of the ICU. And you got people on here that, you know, trying to attack me for telling the, well, that, that that's fake provide provide the doctor's name, provide, you know, people just, they don't believe they are unbelievers. And so you've got people that don't believe it. You could see, you know, you know, what's crazy. There are people that could see a miracle and still not believe it. Think about Thomas. That was Jesus own disciple that had seen all the things that Jesus did, had seen all the miracles, had listened to all the messages should have had great faith. But the Bible says, that after Jesus' resurrection, he said, I won't believe it unless I can put my fingers in the nail scars in his hands. And I mean, like literally, unless I see it with natural eyes, I don't believe it. There's many people like that. Many people like that. Wouldn't matter what you showed them. Wouldn't matter what was right in front of their face. They just don't believe. They just don't believe. They're unbelievers. And the Bible says things like this are foolishness to them when you preach the gospel. Foolishness to them. But let me tell you something. When you see signs and wonders and miracles, they are proof. They are proof to the unbeliever that Jesus is alive. I made this this, um, distinction a couple of broadcasts ago where I told you that if you study in in the Gospels, when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus, they asked him a question. They said, are you the Messiah? Or are we waiting for somebody else? Are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus gave this answer. He said, go back and tell John the things that you've seen and heard. And then he said, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached on the lame walk. He went through the list of what? Healing and deliverance miracles. 
Now think logically, use a logical mind if you would. If the devil could duplicate those healing and deliverance miracles, then Jesus would have been foolish to base the proof of his messiahship on healing miracles and deliverance miracles. Because if the devil can duplicate them, then it's not proof at all that you're the son of God. It's not at all proof. So why would the Holy Spirit inspire and the word of God tell us that that's the answer he sent to John the Baptist? Go back and tell John, if you're wondering if I'm the son of God, you've seen the dead raised. You've seen the blind regain their sight. You've seen the deaf hear. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen uh, the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He used it as proof that he was the son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. And so there's no demon that can do these things. There's no Satan himself can't do these things. And so miracles and signs and wonders are still today proof that Jesus is the son of God and that he's still alive and that he's coming back soon. And every believer, hear what I'm saying. Every believer is anointed to work the works of God. Every believer is anointed to work the mighty works of God. It's not just for you know, apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Every believer is anointed to work the works of God, you included, those of you that are watching this. And I know we got skeptics watching this that are commenting with their little comments of unbelief and doubt. That's fine. I'm not, you're not forced to believe. You don't have to believe. Many won't believe, the Bible says. And I'm not here to try to force you to believe. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the message of Christ. And as you preach it, the Bible says faith is released. Paul said faith is released. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel carries the power. But what did Paul teach about the gospel? He said the gospel is not fully preached until the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are seen. In fact, let me guide you to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's weird. Comments aren't going through on YouTube, Brittany. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Yeah, it's funny. You watch skeptics. It's like this is a personal experience of my own life. I'm not telling you about some third-party third person thing that I heard about somewhere. This is my own family. I was in the room. This is my own life experience that I'm giving you a firsthand testimony. Like, I don't believe it happened. Like what benefit, like literally what benefit do I have to come onto a live broadcast and tell you a miracle about my daughter who was healed by God? Like how would I, how am I benefiting from that? I'm not selling some kind of healing powder or some kind of, you know, it's like somebody said the other night, you're just slinging snake oil. I, I have no snake oil to sell you. I, I'm not selling you water from the Jordan River. I don't have, you know, some kind of a, a special anointing oil that I'm, for everybody that shows $1,000, we're going to send you that same anointing oil that I used in the, no, I don't, there's no benefit for me to come on here and share a life testimony with you about my daughter for me to lie about it. I have no reason to lie. I have no reason to, to, to misguide you. Believe it if you want. Don't believe it if you want. I, I don't really care. But people aren't even smart enough. 
people that are like that, that, that uh, mock and, you know, say those things, they're not even logically smart enough in their mind to understand that I don't get, there's no benefit for me to lie, you know, at all. I have no gain. There's no gain for me to benefit. So it, cr- it cracks me up. The people get on, like, you're just telling a lie, slanging snake oil. There's no snake oil to buy. There's nothing for you. I mean, I, I can't even, there's no way for me to even benefit monetarily off of telling the story of my daughter. So it just cracks me up. People aren't even smart enough to get that, that I'm just telling you about the goodness of God and what he's done. I was in the room. I talked to the doctor and now she's home at my house with no disease and no congestive heart failure. And she runs around outside and exerts her energy completely healed by the power of God completely healed. You know why? Because Jesus is still alive today because miracles still happen today. The Holy Spirit is still moving today. He's not ceased in his operation. He has continued through the ages, continuing to do what he has always done, which is manifest his power amongst the people of God on the earth. And so, you know, I, I can't help it if people aren't intelligent enough to think logically. That's their own issue. But what I'm telling you is, and there's my friend Brad Strobel, who I love. Um, yeah, exactly. They must have bought snake oil from somebody else and it didn't work. <laughs> it's like, I got no snake oil. Um, I, I've killed some snakes in the last few weeks, but we got no oil from them, apparently. First Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to see this. Now, Paul is talking to this church about how he came to them. This is in Greece. How did I come to you? And it's important you understand, he didn't want to come philosophically. If you study history, Greece was a place where it could have been considered the epicenter of philosophy in the world. Athens, in fact, where Paul went and debated the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, proves that point. It was like the epicenter of uh, philosophy and intelligence, and so Paul made a point in Corinth. He said, I didn't want to come to you. He was very clear. I didn't want to come to you in such a way that I based what I was telling you on human wisdom or philosophy. No, he he did not want to do that because they were already so familiar with philosophy that as you look at the story in Acts chapter 17, if you look at the Acts chapter 17 stories, you start to see that Paul goes into Athens and tries to use a philosophical method to reach the philosophers, and it doesn't work because that's not how God works. You can't debate someone into the kingdom of God. You can't debate somebody into faith in Christ. It doesn't work that way. It is the preaching of the gospel, and Paul, which I'm showing you in a moment, Paul said you don't fully preach the gospel unless you see the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And so he was very careful. As I'm bringing the gospel to you, I don't want you to think that it has something to do with human wisdom because it doesn't. It has to do with the power of the Holy Ghost. Listen to his his, uh, comments to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 2. Did everybody get messed up with comments on YouTube? Is YouTube not letting you comment for some reason or another? I've never seen that before if if that's the case. I don't know why that they would be doing that to you. Anyway, listen to what the Bible says. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech 
or wisdom. Verse two, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse three, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech, look at verse four, and my message were not in plausible words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Verse five, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see Paul's desire there? He's saying, I don't, the reason I don't want to come to you philosophically and through the, the means of human wisdom is because I don't want your faith resting in that. Because that's not what your faith is supposed to rest in, human wisdom and philosophical methods. No. And so, now, now think about this. That's something that Paul decided to do even though he had plenty of ammunition in that area. Because Paul was literally, probably, I mean, I, I always say outside of Christ, he was the most educated and the wisest man in the New Testament, without question. This man was extremely educated. He was very much unlike the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, uh, you know, when, when they stood before the council, I mean, look at the difference. And this shows you that it, it really has nothing to do with uh, education. The power of God doesn't have anything to do with education has everything to do with the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, when they stood before the uh, the council in Acts chapter 4, listen to this. Um, Acts 4.13, listen to what the Bible says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. So, Peter and John, very much unlike the Apostle Paul. Peter and you know Peter being a fisherman, he wasn't some like scribe. He wasn't some educated uh, uh, teacher or scholar. He was a fisherman, and the council could clearly see just from looking and talking to him, this is not an educated man. He's unlearned, uneducated, and a common man. The diff that it was different for Paul. Paul was extremely educated, extremely, the Bible says. The Bible actually tells us that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who to this day is considered one of the greatest teachers in the history of Judaism that ever existed. And Paul was his direct understudy. And Paul was extremely educated in the law, the prophets, the writings. He knew, I mean, like, that's why he could stand in Athens and debate, although it didn't bring any fruit, but he could do it. Peter wouldn't have been able to do it. John wouldn't have been able to do it in the natural sense. But I want you to think about this, Paul being so educated and Paul being a person with so much wisdom still makes the choice. When I come to Corinth, I'm not, I'm not going to rest on any of that wisdom. I'm not going to bring you any of that human wisdom or philosophical method. I'm coming to you in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost so that your faith will never rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of Almighty God. And so there's many people right now around the world that are so educated that they've educated themselves right out of the moving of the Holy Ghost because they've allowed themselves to listen to people that are filled with doubt and unbelief. 
that will tell them things about the Bible, tell them things about Scripture that actually cause them to doubt God's Word rather than have faith in God's Word. And I'm talking about Christian teachers at universities, liberal universities that teach garbage about the Bible, and it fills people with doubt and unbelief and gets them to even wonder if this is even God's Word at all. I talked to a pastor friend of mine who is very intelligent, very intelligent, went to one of the top universities that you could go to in America to receive a master's in theology, one of the top. And let me just say, if you were to get a master's from this school or a doctorate from this school, it would be more prestigious than Harvard theology or Yale theology, be more prestigious than that. It's a Catholic university located in the in Washington, D.C., and he was accepted to that university. He's a Pentecostal pastor and was accepted to that university and, and got his master's degree from that uh, university. And he said, but the thing was, when I quit, uh, or when I not quit, but when he finished his degree and was moving on towards his doctorate, he said, I had to take like two years after my master's uh, was completed. I had to take like two years to reestablish myself in Pentecostal doctrines. And the the doctrines, I'm talking about the belief systems of the Pentecostal church based on the scripture. He said, because there's so many liberal professors that will teach you things, and many times they do it to try to provoke your mind, but they actually believe it. And they'll try to teach you things to even get you to not believe the Bible is inerrant, that the Bible is inspired, that you know that it's nothing more than a historical document, and that even if it was inspired, some you know some if not many of the books we have in it shouldn't even be in there. They're not inspired by God. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they'll teach you. So you come out the other end thinking you're going in to get all this ammunition to be a more powerful minister of the gospel, and you come out on the other side full of doubt and unbelief. And literally, it's what's happening. And people are so uh, you know you want to you want to get the approval of men and women that don't even believe the Bible's inspired? You want to get the approval? I mean, what good is it to have a PhD on your name if at the end of it, you've lost faith in God's word? You've lost the ability to operate in the power of the spirit. You no longer see people healed. You no longer see people say, you come out of these liberal universities and people don't even believe you should give an altar call anymore. Well, we don't we do not do that anymore because we now understand the truth of God's word regarding salvation and salvation has nothing to do with you answering an altar call. It has nothing to do with you receiving by faith uh, what Christ has done on the cross. It's all one-sided. God picks you before uh, the foundations of the earth and he's the one that makes you a believer and you have nothing to do with your salvation. And that, that's the kind of stuff they start believing. And then they, they no longer you know, win people to Jesus. They no longer have conversions in their churches. They no longer lay hands on the sick. They no longer have manifestations of the power of the Holy Ghost. And because of these people that have gotten so wise that they've become foolish, it actually stops or hinders the moving of God's work on the earth. You know, there's a problem when you you get so intelligent that you realize there's no longer a need for repentance. That is a problem. That is a problem. And that's not a straw man argument, by the way, because there are many in our generation who believe that very thing. They've become so educated. We Not only do we not need the Holy Ghost, we don't even need repentance because of monergistic salvation. And we understand that. And then you get into people that think about how crazy this is. You get into people that believe like that and mix that with hyper grace theology and you're out the window. You're a nut job. 
you know, and, and people don't know what they believe. And it's, what's what's happening in the natural realm? I'll tell you what's happening is that it's causing our churches to get into a place of no productivity. And the statistics prove it, that churches have gone from being an average of 80 members to an average of about 65 to 70 members. What's happening? Why are those dead churches shrinking? Because people have gotten away from the thing that caused Christianity to explode through the whole earth, the power of God. The power of God is what caused, do you think, do you honestly think that the thing in the early church that caused Christianity to explode across continents and all over, you, you, you honestly think that the thing that was, it was because somebody stood up with a philosophical message. They had no light shows. They had no smoke and praise and worship services in that way. They, you know, they didn't have LED screens to put up uh, videos and do at the movies series in the early church. They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have online streaming. They didn't, they didn't have Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. They didn't have that stuff. And you think that the thing that caused the church to explode across continents and have thousands at a time receiving the gospel of Christ was some philosophical method? Absolutely not. It was the miracle signs and wonders and the gospel being preached to, and, and the miracle signs and wonders that backed that gospel up that caused people to believe all over. The Bible says in the gospel of John chapter 2, I believe it's verse 23, that many believed on Jesus' name when they saw the miracles, which he did. You see that? Go to, go to the gospel of John chapter 2. They saw the miracles which Jesus did, and it caused them to believe on his name. And I'm going to give you a story in just a moment. I love these stories of faith. John chapter 2, look at verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. The signs, the wonders, the miracles. They saw it and it caused them to have faith in who he was and believe him. Look at Acts chapter 8. Let me read you this. The Bible says, this is the story, by the way, of Philip in Samaria, who's preaching the gospel to the Samarians, listen to this, verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went to Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame or healed. So there was much joy in the city. I'm gonna keep on going, listen to this. Um, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon, the sorcerer himself believed after being baptized and he continued with Philip and seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So notice the same thing that happened in John 2, 23 is the same thing that was still happening in Acts chapter eight after the death and resurrection of Christ, the same method was being employed. People saw Jesus signs and wonders and miracles and they believed. And then people saw the signs and wonders and miracles that were um, produced by Philip when he was filled with the Holy Ghost and they believed. And the whole city saw it and believed and turned their attention to him. And even Simon the sorcerer saw it and he believed. 
So it was the same method. It had nothing to do with philosophy. It had nothing to do with trying to debate people into the kingdom. It's let me preach the gospel to you and then let me back it up by signs and wonders and miracles to show you that what I'm saying actually works. Actually works. You take signs and wonders and miracles away from the church and our religion is the same and stands at the same level as every other religion or philosophy. Every other one. Take away the supernatural aspect of Christianity. It's just like Islam. It's just like Hinduism. It's just like New Age philosophy. That's why God gave us the power of the Holy Ghost. It's why he said the works. It's the one in 1 Corinthians 13, Karen. You know, tongues shall pass away and all that. They don't even understand the context of that. So I want you to understand something. Very important. The supernatural aspect of Christianity is needed. It is commanded by Christ. He commanded the supernatural aspect of this belief system. He said, the works that I do, you'll do also. He commanded us to go out and begin to do it. Lay your hands on the sick. Watch them recover. Preach the gospel. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. Freely you've received. Freely give. Amen. Hallelujah. So you start to understand that Christ has empowered us to do the work. And if we try to cut that out of Christianity, as many are trying to do it because they're really intelligent. They're so intelligent. Well, there's people that will just be offended. People will just be freaked out. Let them get freaked out. Let them get offended. They should be. A spirit of, remember this. I want you, everybody watching to put this in the comments section. A spirit of antichrist is never going to love the spirit of Christ. Put it in the comments. The spirit of antichrist is never going to love the spirit of Christ. They'll always be opposed. They will always be opposed. Antichrist spirit hates the spirit of Christ. And so you know what? Let them mock. Let them make fun. Let them disagree. But, you know, there's a reason that the Southern Baptist Convention that for decades has not believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues or allowed it or anything like that has started to realize, you know what, for our missionaries that go overseas, maybe this is something that we should allow for the mission. You know why? They're seeing Pentecostal uh, churches and missionaries in other countries killing it, killing it. All kinds of people being saved people being changed, people being healed, people being delivered, people being converted from other cultural religions, and they're not seeing the, the fruit that they want to see. Well, maybe they do. Maybe for the missionaries. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. A spirit of antichrist is never going to love the spirit of Christ. And so there's something to be said. That's why. I want you to, I want you to think about this fact with me. Jesus did not ever, ever, expect his disciples or his followers to do anything for the kingdom before they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why if we go to the end of the gospel of Luke, Luke, who was the most careful and descriptive gospel writer there was, he was a researcher, he was a, a, a physician, he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, and he was very, very careful to be descriptive. And I want you to see this. Jesus gives a command 
to his followers. He said, uh, let me read it to you from Luke 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high, stay in the city. Don't go preach. Don't go try to work miracles. Don't go try to cast out demons. Don't go do all that other stuff I promised you would do. Stay in the city until you are filled with power or clothed, this translation says, verse 49, with power from on high, Luke 24, 49. So catch that. Jesus didn't want them doing anything until they were clothed with power. Didn't want them doing anything. And if you're, and if people's argument is, well, you know, that was just the first time the Holy Spirit was ever sent. You know, after that, after the day of Pentecost, you know, every believer has that, is clothed with that power. Um, you know, at, after uh, salvation from that day forward, every believer that, uh, well, if you think that, if you think that conversion gives you the, the clothing of power that Christ was speaking about, then explain to me why in Acts chapter eight, after the whole city of Samaria got saved, they were, they were converted. They were even baptized in water. Why did Philip call for Peter and John to come to Samaria and lay his hands upon all those new believers so that they'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. If conversion itself gives you that clothing of power, then why was it necessary for Peter and John to come? Why did they have to do that? In Acts chapter 19, if conversion is all that's necessary for the clothing with power, why is it that when Paul converted, saw the men converted in, in Ephesus to Christ, 12 men, if that's the case, how come after they were converted to Christ and baptized in the name of Jesus, the Bible says, why did Paul need to lay his hands on them and see them filled with the Holy Ghost until they were speaking in tongues and prophesying? Because it doesn't happen at the moment of conversion. It can, but conversion has to happen first, and then there's a subsequent experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost. And it's different. And that shows you Luke 24, 49 shows you that it is not Christ's desire that any Christian do anything for the kingdom until they're clothed with power from on high. Let me ask you a question. When Peter and John got to Samaria to in Acts 8 to lay their hands on the believers, or when Paul led the 12 in Ephesus to Christ in Acts 19, do you find anywhere in the scripture where they asked them, hey, uh, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, we have a pamphlet here. Uh, it's just a, a comment card. If you'd fill it out, we have a little bit. Of, we want you to listen to four weeks of podcasts. And then after that, if you feel comfortable with it, we want you to fill out a survey. And then we want you to talk to several of our deacons and church elders. And then, you know, if you're still uh, comfortable with it, and if we haven't uh, sufficiently talked you out of it, then we'll take you in a back room somewhere and maybe pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. If it's his will, you know, we'll pray. No. They didn't even ask them if they wanted to be filled. They didn't ask that. They didn't ask that. They just showed up and started laying their hands on the new believers 
And they were filled with the whole, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. All of them. All of them. It had nothing to do with, do you want to be or do you not want to be? Do you feel this is for you? Would you like to take next steps? No. It was for every believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's how they operated. That's because that's how Christ's desire was when he was on the earth. Don't even leave the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Don't even leave the city. And so that's, that's, that's gospel. That's how you rightly divide the word of truth. That's proper hermeneutical study to understand, let scripture interpret scripture. If what people claim to be true is true, there's no need for Acts 8. There's no need for Acts 19. Paul and Peter and John would have been acting in disobedience or outside the will of God to try to make something happen after salvation. If salvation's all you needed to be clothed with power. And we need it today. And churches need to preach it today. And while others are trying to get away from it, I'm going to keep playing clips like that. I'm going to keep preaching like that. I'm going to keep speaking in tongues. I'm going to keep laying my hands on the sick. I'm going to keep watching them recover. I'm going to keep casting out demons. I'm going to keep singing songs about being Pentecostal. And you're not going to see me taking my shoes off on the stage with a little acoustic guitar barefoot on holy ground singing songs that have no power. I'm going to be filled to the full with the Holy Ghost and see the manifestations of Christ in action and watch people converted and changed, delivered by the power of God and watch as healing takes place, deliverance takes place. You know, people are so ignorant. People are so ignorant. It's like the guy that got on earlier on Facebook, you know, putting LOL because I'm talking about demon possession. People are so ignorant that they don't, they won't believe in demon possession when a preacher talks about it, but if they then watch some documentary on a ghost hunter's show about a person who was filled with a spirit from a house or some evil spirit overtook a person in a house, they're like, man, that's wild. You know, did you hear that story? You know, that person got filled with an evil spirit and it's like they had, it was crazy. They had levitating happening, all this crazy. And they'll believe it from a show, from a bunch of nut jobs on a ghost hunter show, when a man of God that's experienced it and taken authority over it and has dealt with it time and time again sees it and say, oh, you're so funny. You think there's demon possession. Oh, there's demon possession, my friend. And I've seen it. We've dealt with it. We've cast demons out, not just here, but around the world, cast demons out. And it cracks me up because people are so willing to believe some show on, you know, on television, on, you know, whatever. And they won't, they don't even believe the word of God is true. It's like people are screwed up in their priorities of what they believe and what they don't believe. People are ridiculous. And so, you know, I'll give you a a wonderful, a wonderful story of, of deliverance. If you've not heard me tell the story about, um, when Dr. Lester Sumrall, you know, went to the Philippines and he was believing God for, um, he was believing God for revival to hit the nation of the Philippines. And uh, on the radio, there was a report of this girl who had been arrested. She was not even from the Philippines. She was actually from another nation that had come there and was uh, on the streets as a prostitute and then was arrested, put in jail, but was having demonic manifestations. They were just calling it episodes because obviously the government is not going to call something a demonic manifestation. And so... Um, her name was Clarita Villanueva, and she was uh, she was in the prison there in in, in the Philippines in um, uh, Manila. And so he's there, 
And uh, he hears it on the radio because as he's praying, he said, God, give me access to the nation. Let's bring, I want a nationwide revival. And he hears this uh, report on the, on the radio, on the news about this girl that's in a cell in the, in the Manila. And she's having these episodes where she's thrashing around in a cell by herself. And then there's bite marks and teeth marks on her skin in the cell. And the Lord said, that's your opening, that's your open door to revival in this nation. So he goes to the prison, and this is documented in his book that's entitled Bitten by Devils, Bitten by Devils. So it's just a little mini book. If you want to get it, it should be still on Amazon, Bitten by Devils. And I think they even did a, uh, like a, a video on it as well. I'm not sure if that's on YouTube or not, but he went into the cell and here's a girl that didn't even speak his language. And as he began to talk to it, the demons would speak out of her in his language, in English. And there was reporters and everybody in there with him. And it was a big story around the, the nation. And so he goes in there and after going back and forth a few days, you know, she would thrash and she would have these bite marks on her skin in places on her body where she could not bite herself, her back, you know, other places like that just would be no way. And she was in a cell by herself. No one else was in there. And the guards would see her have these episodes and she'd be thrashing around the cell, really trying to get these demons off of her while they were harassing her. And so finally, Brother uh, Sumrall cast the demons out of this girl. She said later that she would actually see them come into her cell and that there would be, uh, yeah, it's on DVD as well, bitten, bitten by devils. Um, and so that she would see them. There was, there was a big muscular one. There was a smaller one. She described them. And uh, they'd be in the cell with her, and then they'd start biting her and harassing her while the third one would, would just command them or watch. And um, so the power of God came upon him. He cast the demons out of that girl, and he told her. I thought this was so interesting. He told her, uh, now that you're free, and of course he led her to the Lord, he said, they're going to try to come back one more time. They're going to try to come back one more time. And when they do, you tell them that you're washed in the blood of Jesus, that you, Christ is your savior. He gave her all these things to say. And uh, she, she said, okay. And then he left. And then it did happen. Exactly what, what Brother Summerall said would happen took place. They came back to try to harass her one more time. And uh, she could not remember what to say. She couldn't remember what the... And luckily, the guard outside of her cell remembered he said, don't forget that man of God told you to say this. And he told her what to say. And she said it and they left and never came back again. And that woman was not only delivered, but she also was saved. She married a young man there and became, now here's what happened to give you the rest of the story. After that, uh, the, the, basically the government told him, for, you can have anything you want. What would you like to do? And he said, I want to have the, the full city center square to hold a crusade here. They said, you can have whatever you want. He held a crusade in Manila in the Philippines. So many were saved. So many were saved. And uh, they started a church out of that crusade, which is still there today, pastored by, I believe it's his nephew, uh, David Sumrall. Massive church filled, filled to this day with people, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, by the power of God, came out of that crusade. Well, that woman married a young man and she started attending the church and they said was one of the most faithful families to that church for years and years. And the power of God literally 
delivered her from demon possession. It's the miracle power of God that opens these doors. I mean, I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony. I mean, supernatural things that God has done. It's amazing to watch the things that God has done by the Spirit and by His power. These signs and wonders and miracles are proof that Jesus is alive. They are the proof that Jesus is alive. And I want to to encourage your faith on this broadcast today that as we get closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is time more than ever before to press in to the power of God. Don't pull back. Don't try to uh, lean away from the moving and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We need to be Pentecostal more than ever before. What do I mean by that? We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to speak in tongues. We need to lay our hands on the sick. We need to cast out devils. We need to believe in the mighty power of God and bring deliverance to a hurting and a captive generation. Do you honestly think that what this generation needs is more rehab? Do you think, you know, there's people, think about it. There's people that are uh, addicted to opioids in this generation. It's, a, it's an epidemic across this nation. Opioids, heroin, you know, fentanyl, all these drugs. And then what's happening is they're going into rehab centers to get off the drug, basically getting on a drug that the government has to get them off the other drug. But then going back, I know many stories like this, going back to where they came from getting back into drugs, but because the batches are so inconsistent that are being cooked that they think they can go back to the dosage that they had before, do it and overdose and die. Overdose and die. It's gotten so bad in many places that the police started releasing footage on YouTube of what it looks like as people are strung out on opioids. Pulled over to the side of the road, you got two parents in the front of the car just completely gone with a baby crying in a car seat in the back. And the police even decided people need to see what's going on with this drug. It's and can't stop it. Can't do anything about it. They come out of rehab and still die on overdose. Do you think what we need is more rehab clinics? Do you think what we need is more government issued drugs? Do you think what we need is more counseling centers? I was preaching in New Hampshire where it was a huge epidemic. I've told you this story. A woman came in in the middle of our revival in that little Nazarene church that we rented, and she was strung out on heroin, had done heroin by her own confession every day of her life for however many, a year, two years before, just every day, high, never not high. She came in looking high, completely strung out. I called her out, laid hands on her, power got hit her. She went out in the Holy Ghost, gave her heart to Christ, and then came back the next night looking, I mean looking like a completely different woman. She gave the testimony the second night. You know what she said? I woke up today and she said, not only did I not do drugs today, I didn't even have the desire to do drugs. Let me tell you something. No rehab clinic can do that. No government issued drug can do that. Nothing. Let me tell you something. The power of God is the only substance in the world that can set someone completely free like that. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's why we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Not some Christian to sit around and say, well, God doesn't really do that stuff anymore. And if it's happening, it's because God's plan predestined it to happen. Foolishness. Absolute foolishness. 
and people are dying and people are being destroyed and families being torn apart, bodies being ravaged with sickness and disease because you've got people that have become so educated that they don't even believe in the power of God anymore. If they want to call me a fool, let them call me a fool. If they want to call me a heretic, let them call me a heretic. You know, somebody sent me something the other day. Uh, uh, who was it? Brittany, I believe sent me something on Instagram about these documentaries they're doing now about the complete heresy of the word of faith movement, how it's a complete cult and it's a, and it's heresy. I said, you know, that they started teaching in the 1800s that you can have what you say. So they really uh, cut their research short, should have gone back about 1800 years before that to when Jesus told the disciples that whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you'll receive them and you shall have them. That's called, you can have what you say. Try to extend your research back a little further next time. And there's people that have gotten so intelligent that they think that everything else that doesn't line up with what they think is just some kind of a heretical belief system or cult. Let me tell you something. You keep believing what you believe and doing what you do, and I'll keep believing what I believe and doing what I do, and we'll see on the day of judgment who has things to put through the fire that will come out gold. We'll see who has crowns to lay at the feet of Jesus because there is work to be done. And in the midst of the work that needs to be done, I don't have time to mess around with fools that don't understand the word of God and don't know the power of God. I have no time. If I see them in heaven, praise God that they made it there. But while I'm on the earth, there's too much work to do to fool around with some nut job that all they have time to do is persecute other believers who declare Jesus is the Christ and that he was raised from the dead. I mean, think about how foolish this is that you've got people that are giving their whole life and time to putting together documentaries to attack other believers that have actually declared that Christ is Lord, that he's been raised from the dead, that he's coming back soon, but they don't have enough Holy Ghost cojones to actually go out and do the work of the ministry. They don't actually have the uh, the actual fortitude and the and the actual strength to actually go do what Jesus said to do, which is to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in, compel them to come in. If you believe like many of these guys do today, what's the point of compelling anybody to come in if they've if we, God's already predestined and decided who will and won't go to heaven and who will and won't go to hell? Double predestination. It's believed by millions of people that Jesus has already decided and, and nothing you can do will change it. He's already predestined and predetermined who will go to heaven. Who? So what's the point of obeying the instructions of Christ to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in? What's the point of compelling if God's already decided? What's the point of preaching? You know what their answer is to that? Well, we only can do it because Jesus said to do it. Well, you think Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? You think he's, uh, I mean, like people don't even make sense logically. I don't understand how they make sense even logically. Why would Jesus say in John chapter nine and verse four, that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. For the night is coming where no man can work. Well, here's the question. What's the point of doing the work? Why do we even care about doing the work if it's already predestined and predetermined? Why would we do the work? That's stupid. You know, if God, listen, if God is powerful enough to uh, monergistically save someone, 
That means one-sided salvation. You don't have anything to do with it. If he's powerful enough to do that, and if he's powerful enough to not only predestine you, but predetermine you, then you don't need my help to preach the gospel. You don't need our help to preach the gospel. Just do your thing, God. Just the ones that you have chosen as the potter to reject, reject them and let them go to hell. And the one that you've ch- the ones you've chosen to save, then just save them and let us go to heaven. And, and forget all the rest of this stuff. It's not even logically accurate. There's no point in doing the work. There's no point in uh, compelling them to come in. There's no point in preaching the gospel if it's all one-sided. It's not one-sided. It's not predetermined in that way. In that way, there is there are people that need to hear the gospel. Does God know who will and who won't? Of course he knows. Of course he knows who will reject him. Of course he knows who will accept him. He knows the end from the beginning. But I'm telling you, more than ever, we need the mighty manifestations and power of the Holy Ghost at work. I refuse to back off. I refuse to be intimidated. I refuse to be ashamed or shamed by others. Let them do their thing. I'll do mine. And at the end of the day, we'll see who has uh, the account laid up in heaven of what's been done for the Lord on the earth. And you need to have that mindset too. In 2020 vernacular, shake off the haters. Brush them off. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. Put it in the comments section. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. If there's people that don't like it, that's fine. Go somewhere else. You know what God, you know what Jesus said to his disciples? If you go to a city and preach the gospel and they don't receive what you have to say, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. That was the word of Christ to the disciples. He didn't say, stay in that city as long as you can until they all believe what you're preaching. No, he didn't say keep banging your head against a brick wall. He said, preach it. If they don't receive it, if they don't like it, shake the dust off of your feet and go somewhere else. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. Brush your shoulders off and get to work. That's what needs to be done. Because the night is coming where no man can work. John 9, 4. The night is coming. Keep it in mind. The night is coming. The night is coming where no man will be able to work. Time's running out. Time is running out. Time's running out. So I'm going to pray for you today. Maybe there's those of you watching me, you don't, uh, you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're not filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to pray for you today that the Lord will fill you with his Holy Spirit and fill you with his power. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every man and woman that's watching this broadcast. They're not yet filled and they've not been clothed with power from on high. They're not baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Father, I ask you, as you did all those years ago at World Harvest Church, the clip that we watched, do it for those that are watching today. Let them receive the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Be filled with the Holy Ghost in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that all of those that are watching this are being clothed with power from on high. Fill them to overflowing in Jesus' mighty name and let us be effective workers in the kingdom of God. We thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you believe it, somebody shout aloud, amen. Throw some hands up in the comments section. That same Holy Spirit that's upon you will do the same works in you that Jesus did when he was on the earth. You're empowered to do the works of Christ. Super 
supernaturally empowered. Amen. Supernaturally empowered. Hallelujah. We are the remnant. That's right. We are the remnant. I'm encouraging you. You know what to do. If you feel led to sow a seed today, I want you to do it. Do it by the power of God. I never put pressure on people. I don't have to put pressure on you. The Lord speaks to you what to do. And we have great, great people that watch this broadcast every day. Great people, anointed people. And you're very generous people. And I love you. Carolyn loves you. And so for those of you that know the Lord's speaking to you, to sow a specific seed today, do it. Step out in faith and sow that seed uh, by the power of the Holy Ghost and watch as God blesses you back. Yeah, of course people have to, Ari's asking, do people have to accept the Holy Spirit for it to come upon them? Of course. Or can you reject the Holy Spirit? You can reject the Spirit. And the Bible encourages us to not reject the Spirit. Don't reject the Holy Ghost. Let me read you a verse, a passage of scripture, I should say, from uh, the Apostle Paul, probably the first epistle that he ever wrote. This is um, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to this. The Bible says uh, in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecies but test everything and hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil so don't quench the spirit if he's moving don't try to put the fire out allow the spirit of god to move don't try to hinder him from moving that's very important don't despise prophecies don't hinder him from moving Amen. I want to read you this. First Corinthians 14 and verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So you can forbid speaking in tongues and stop the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just take control of you and then make you do all these things. You, you don't become a marionette puppet. It's by the yielding of your will to the Spirit of God, he speaks through you and works with you. Thank you, Angel and Greg, for sowing a seed. Appreciate you. So yes, you can quench the Spirit. You can uh, forbid speaking in tongues. You can despise prophecies. But you're commanded to not do that. Don't do that. Don't quench the spirit. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't uh, despise prophecy. Let he, Paul taught them. He said, I, I want you to earnestly desire the gifts of the spirit. Desire them. Don't hate them. Don't try to push them out of the church. And desire them. Want them. Ask God to use you in them. My father's got a great book that's getting ready to come out. It's part one of a series called The Camels Are Coming. The Camels Are Coming. And it's about the gifts of the Spirit. And it'll be out soon and you need to buy it when it comes out. Because there's a lack of teaching and understanding on the, the gifts of the Spirit in the church today because of what I taught on today. Many churches are backing away from the Holy Ghost. And you can't do it. You cannot do it. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. And don't despise prophecies. 
Kelly's asking, if a family member isn't saved before the rapture, will they go to heaven? Kelly, if they had an opportunity to be saved and rejected the truth of God's word before the rapture, unfortunately, they will not be able to be saved after the rapture. They'll not be able to. And um, let me just show you that verse of scripture in the word so you know what I'm talking about. Um, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the Bible is teaching there that they, if they've rejected the truth, if they've had opportunity and continually reject it, that once the rapture takes place and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, God will actually send a delusion to the earth for those that rejected the truth, and they will believe a lie so that the condemnation uh, can actually take place for those that rejected what Jesus did. That's why it's important. The work we're doing now is vitally important to see people save before it's too late. Time is running out. That's why we need the mighty move of the Holy Spirit. Those of you that are sowing, you can go to miracleword.com and sow your seed there. You can go to uh, Cash App and use MWGive, PayPal, the information's on the screen. Venmo is the same as <clears throat> Cash App, at MWGive, you can sow there. And of course, you can always use hashtag donate in the comments section. A big thank you to every person that's partnered, every person that's sewing. I'm sorry that today was a little bit late getting on, but I don't know if it's because all of these people being home at the same time is, is and that's what Facebook was saying, was that many of the, uh, the live streams that were all taken down, it's like the bandwidth or something is being uh, overridden or whatever, which doesn't, it blows my mind because everything on YouTube was fine. But uh, man, I, I went to go live with you guys this morning and it was like the thing was almost at zero. I did, I did probably 20 internet speed tests and the speed for upload was like at 0 0.1, 0 0.2, which you obviously can't go live with something that slow. Thank you, Andre, for sewing. So uh, it took a while before the, uh, the speed went back up again. And so I'm not sure what the issue was with that. But anyway, tonight, uh, coming back, <clears throat> we will be live again at 7 o'clock. Eastern time, that's New York City time if you're watching from another part of the world. And uh, we'll be going live at 7 p.m. to continue the Spirit of Faith sessions. And uh, I know you guys have been blessed by this. We're going to keep on going with it. And uh, it's been awesome. I've been enjoying it. And so I'm looking forward to tonight at 7. Do not miss it. I got a word for you tonight. And then let me just say, people have been grabbing these up. Get yours before they're gone because people have been jumping on the store and buying these. Talked to Carolyn about it yesterday, but the Miracle Word Kids Easter box is available. $40, you get the custom Miracle Word Kids box. You get your choice of t-shirt for the children. You get all the candy. You get a, uh, a moleskin style uh, hardcover journal with our, our kids slogan on it, slap bracelet, the Easter story. And then you get the brand new Miracle Word Kids tumbler in blue or pink, depending if you have a boy or girl, and uh, screw on top. They're really, really nice. They came out great. And uh, you guys will enjoy these. 
and they're available now. So if you want to grab them, they're available in the store. And then of course the winter magazine shipped out. If you didn't get, uh, if you're not signed up, I should say, because people are still getting theirs, but if you're not signed up, please take a minute to go to the website. They're listed miracleword.com forward slash live and sign up to get yours. And we'll send you a copy. If you're overseas, we will send you a digital copy ASAP. And, uh, I know you'll enjoy it and it'll be a great blessing to you to be a part of the family. And, you know, if you want sign up to receive text messages as well, you can do that. And, uh, I'm, I love just staying connected with you guys. So I know, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. It's, it's definitely something behind the scenes, definitely something behind the scenes, billion. I, I don't believe there's an issue either. There's, there is more than enough to go around. So something else is up. And I don't know what it is, but something else is up. By the way, I forgot to put the slide up. Sorry, Tiffany. But the new book, Further Faster, is finished and in production now uh, to go to the printer. We're looking for an April 30th ship date, maybe even before that. But we've set it for April 30th uh, to give ourselves a little time as the printer's doing its thing. But you're going to want to get this because this is maybe one of the most important books uh, I've ever written. I mean... It's not being taught on, and it needs to be taught on the power of impartation. And uh, so it's done. It's available for pre-order in the store. We're looking at an April 30th ship date. Finally, it's out the door. It's completed. Thank you, Jesus. It is ready to go. You know, I don't I don't nitpick. You know, Cindy's asking, what is your take on the verbiage of Easter or should it be Resurrection Sunday? I don't nitpick. You know, I'm not, you know... I know people get on, it's actually came from the word Ishtar and it's a pagan holiday that you're using. Like, I don't, you know, I know what I'm celebrating. I, you know, I, I say resurrection Sunday. I know I'm celebrating the resurrection of Christ. You know, I know I'm not celebrating a pagan holiday. So, you know, I don't freak out at people if they say Easter or, or whatever, you know, I, I don't, I don't do that because I know what they mean. I know they mean that we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's like people that are, you know, crack me up. People say, you, you know, people that worship God on Sunday instead of Saturday, they're actually, that's been carried over from a pagan worship of the sun. It's actually, you know, Sunday was a day that was the worship of the sun and this pagan. If you go back, it was actually pagan. That's where it came from, which is retarded. That's not true at all. It's not where it came from. Uh, Sabbath was Saturday in the Old Testament and the New. And then Christians began to gather on Sunday because that's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. He died on Friday, was raised on Sunday. So the reason we meet, it's like John in the book of Revelation. That's why he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The day he's talking about is the day Jesus was raised. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's Sunday. That's why Christians meet. People get all freaked out. You know, that's a pagan day. It should be Saturday. And, you know, they, they go crazy about it. That's not what the early church was doing. And so I don't freak on people if they say Easter versus Resurrection Sunday. I know what they mean. And so uh, just just don't be one of those verb police, verbiage police. <laughs> I love you guys. Thanks for sewing. Thank you for people going to the website. Thanks for partnering with us. As Of course, you know. Oh, let me just make mention of this before we, before we move on. I'll be, I'll, I'll be uh, back tonight at 7. But now that we're coming to the end of the month, it's the 26th to today. But if you've sewn this month, and you've sewn over $85 this month, uh, let me encourage you to go to this website, miracleword.com forward slash offer. If you'd like this book on the price of God's miracle working power that we're putting out by A.A. Allen, please 
go to that page, miracleword.com forward slash offer and claim your offer so that we know, because here's what happens is that people have sown via cash app or other, other methods. And we may not have your, uh, your, your mailing address. So we want to know those of you that are claiming your gift, go there and do it. But there's a drop down. There's a, actually a, there's actually some choices. If you don't want this book, I think there's some other things that are there you can choose from, or if you already have this book, but please make sure you claim it before the end of the month. So we know who to send, uh, the book to. Easter's <laughs> that movie cracked me up. I love you guys. Sorry it was late today, but I'm glad we were able to jump on uh, and there were no issues, which I'm very happy about. Thanks for hanging with me. I will see you tonight, seven o'clock. Do not miss it. Spirit of Faith Sessions. Have a great day and I'll see you tonight. I love you. Well, yes. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I said, are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I gotta say this again tonight. Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. We're the book of action. We are still the same. Worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. We're the book of action. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. Read the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. Just our style, the way we do our thing. Oh, we're the Pentecostals that died in Jesus' name. I'm a Pentecostal, I am not ashamed. We're the book of Acts, we are still the same. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. Can I say it again? Come on, clap those hands. Sound like camp meeting in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you didn't hear me. We've been known to get wild. Let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as your glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. We're the Pentecostals, baptized in Jesus' name. I'm a Pentecostal, I am not ashamed. We're the 
church a good night to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you lift your hands all over this house? Oh, say what I say. Fill me up with the Holy Ghost. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.